Hello, hello, and welcome to Switching Majors. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Pesanello, and this is episode six. How the hell do I get a job? Hey guys, it's Mary Ellen. Welcome back to Switching Majors. You've made it to episode six of this podcast, and so far we have covered some really important topics about entering the workforce. But this is, well, people get excited about this one because whether you are about to graduate college or you're going from your first entry-level position to maybe your second still entry-level but a little bit more experienced position, The whole topic of how the hell do I get a job is something that a lot of people ask me about, so I'm really excited to lay down this episode. Looking for a job is one of the most difficult things that you will ever have to do throughout your professional career, but I always like to say that looking for a job is a million times harder if you don't already have one. So for those of you that are just graduating undergrad, for those of you who maybe got laid off in this pandemic, and for those of you who are still looking for jobs having graduated six plus months ago, I feel for you. It sucks. But it could be difficult for a lot of reasons. Maybe whatever you studied in school is super, super particular and finite, which means that you only can get a certain number of jobs, and that means that everybody else who studied what you studied is going for that same job. Or maybe you don't know what you want to do with yourself, but you know that you need to land a job, and then maybe you don't really care what the job you're doing is, but you know that you want to work in a particular industry or for a particular company. Or you know, maybe you just have no fucking clue what you're doing, but like your mom and dad are riding your ass and if you don't come and produce a job offer letter pretty soon, they're going to kick you out. So no matter how you spin it or whichever way you look at it, this is difficult and it's going to seem even more difficult if you don't know what you're doing. But guys, it's all good. I got you covered. And I would like to start with the frame of mind or the mentality that you all bring to an entry-level job search. Working at the companies that I have, so Discovery, CBS, AMC Networks, I've gotten a lot of young people who have come up to me and in our informational interview or in our initial email has said to me, you know, Mary Ellen, Food Network would just be a dream job for me. Yeah, no shit, Stacey. It's a very reputable company with brand recognition that everybody is dying to work at. No shit, it's a dream job. And I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to be rude here. But when you're about to work for the next 40 years of your life, why would you want your first job to be your dream job? Let me break down for you guys some hard truths about your first job. First of all, it's a lot of grunt work. When you are the lowest person on the totem pole for a department or a company, you should expect a lot of work to come your way. And frankly, it's just paying dues. Everybody needs to do it. 
But no one stays at their first job. You get in, you do one to two years of the grunt work, you get out. And you're even more incentivized to get out because you're not making that much money. In New York City, the starting salaries that I have seen in entertainment and media have been between thirty dollars and $50,000 a year. Media salaries are on average are maybe forty five. dollars I know that maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you went to University of Tennessee or another school outside of New York City, that doesn't sound like a bad salary. But let me just break this down for you. If you're making $45,000 a year, we take out about 30% for taxes. Your take home is around $31,000 a year, round down for other expenses. And suddenly you're lucky if you're taking home $2,000 a month. Meanwhile, the average cost of rent in New York City before the pandemic was $3,500 a month. So that means you can't even live in the city that you work in. And if you at least want to try to live in the city that you work in, you're going to need some roommates. You're going to need as many as you can to file into whatever apartment that you can, whether it's in Manhattan or another borough or, God forbid, New Jersey. And remember, I'm allowed to say that. I've always lived in New Jersey. So tangent aside, the money that you start with just is not worth it. But you have to remember, the first job is not the dream job. It is the gateway to the second job. And that second job is either going to be a promotion within the department that you work for, it's going to be another job within the company that you already work for, or more likely, it's going to be that you go to another company entirely, interview there, and then position yourself as a higher value employee and negotiate for more money. If you guys haven't noticed yet, I am actually a proponent of switching companies, moving around, and gaining an array of experiences as early and as quickly as you can. I have liked a lot of my jobs. I have liked the people. I have liked the work. I have liked seeing the results come together. But with any job I have ever had, there's always been negative parts particular tasks I didn't want to do, people I had to work with. So not everything is going to be a dream job. And what's motivating for me is things like mentoring, building relationships, growing a project. And unfortunately, money is pretty damn motivating too. So spare me on the dream job shit, guys. I hope it's out there. I don't think I've found it yet. I don't know if I ever will. But I have to tell you, if I do find my dream job, I really hope I find it in my mid-40s when I'm married with a couple of kids and a mortgage. Because those things will prevent me from leaving that dream job and will allow me to love it more because I will see it as something that is allowing me to provide for my family. Well, thank you guys for letting me get that off my chest. Really appreciate it if you're still listening. The best thing that we can do when we go for that first job or that next job is to cast a wide net with our search. And we do that by going from a targeted list of companies to tiering that list of companies so that we segment our efforts strategically. And then we apply to every job that we can. So let's start with how we make these company lists. 
let's say, for instance, that you are a marketing major at your university. Maybe you want to construct this list by department. And what I mean by that is every company has a marketing department, whether you're the Wall Street Journal or your Coca-Cola or your Target. Everybody has marketing. And then what you do is you say to yourself, who would I want to do marketing for? And you make that list. But maybe it might be easier for you to start this list by industry. So for instance, you're talking to someone who is exceptionally passionate about the media and entertainment space. I probably would be very hesitant myself to go work for someone like Walmart. But once you have the positioning of your list figured out, you want to make that list as big as possible. So keeping with how I make my lists, let's say that I really, really want to work at HBO, which is owned by Turner. That means that also on my list is going to be all of their competitors, which would include companies like AMC Networks, CBS Viacom, Discovery, A&E Networks, Disney, You're also going to want to think about cross-industry competition. So Google owns YouTube, and that is a media platform that would be very interesting to work for. Amazon owns Prime Video. Apple has Apple TV+. And this is how the list expands and expands. And then I even want you to go several steps further. I want you to look up the Fortune 500 lists. I want you to look up S&P's 500 lists. I want you to do searches for best places to work, best new companies, best startups. And I want this list to be as long as actually possible so that we can cast the widest net that we can when we go to do our applications. And remember, not to sound like a broken record, but this list is now so long because we have done that reframing of our mental narrative. We're going from dream job to, okay, as a young adult, I want to work for a pretty decent company that I can get behind and maybe even grow within that company for the next several years. So that does mean that you are going to have to do some research on every single company that is on this list that we just made so, so big. Yeah, I know. It's a lot of work. So on the list, you might have companies that already have an established reputation within their brand space. You might not have to do that much research on a Pfizer or a Johnson & Johnson. But just because you know about a company doesn't mean that you know everything about that company. So I encourage you all to do a press search, a news search on Google, visit the company site, look at their social media. You want to research the company environment. You can do this by utilizing Glassdoor. Talk to anybody that you know that might work there and utilize your alumni network in those informational meetings. But most importantly, I want you to start listening to earnings calls. Now, I have mentored and spoken with a lot of people at various career points that have not known what an earnings call is. This podcast here on Switching Majors, we're safe space. So what you should know hopefully, is that if a company is publicly traded, the ownership of that company is built up of shares of stock. I really hope you know that part. 
And of course, stocks are freely traded on a stock exchange. Again, I hope you know that. But what you might not know is that these public companies are regulated by the SEC, which stands for Securities and Exchange Commission. And the SEC mandates that companies release quarterly earnings reports and then conduct quarterly earnings calls on the reports that they just filed. So the earnings call is a phone call, or maybe it's a webcast, where the C-suite of a company just discusses the company's performance and teases what's ahead for the company. And if you don't know, the C-suite are your head honchos, the CEO, the CFO, maybe a CMO hops on there. But basically, guys, like these are podcasts for the companies you want to work for. And the typical earnings call that I've listened to basically has the structure of prepared statements from the CEO, prepared statements from the CFO, and then investor Q&A. And oh, baby, that's where it gets juicy. That is where investors call in and grill the CEO on the spot. And that CEO needs to really represent his or her company to the best of his or her ability. And that is where you as a potential employee or even a current employee is really going to gain the insight that you need to know to talk the talk once you walk into work or into that interview. So if you're wondering where you can get uh, recordings of these earnings calls, I really recommend this app called Borsa, B-O-R-S-A. It is phenomenal. I'm convinced that it's run by like a lovely middle-aged man who has nothing else to do with his life because when I first started using Borsa, Discovery was not listed as one of the companies that they hosted the earnings calls for. And I emailed him and within like 20 minutes, he had it up. So again, that app name is Borsa. You're going to want to go listen to these. They happen four times a year and you should be listening to the most recent earnings call that is available for the company that you're interested in. That is how you're going to get the most up-to-date information. And finally, you should always be checking the press site of all of these companies. The internal public relations team for whatever company you're targeting spends all their goddamn day writing stories and thinking about how to publicly announce company news. So if you go to that company's press site, you are getting the narrative right from them. But I also mentioned the press site because remember, earnings calls are only for publicly traded companies. If one of the companies on your list is privately held, such as Mars or maybe Hallmark Channel, then you're not going to be able to have those you know, business company podcasts that we got so used to. You're going to have to rely on the press site. So I want you to work that into your due diligence as well. Congratulations. Now you have yourself a very long, robust list of companies that you have well-researched that you might want to work for and whose job opportunities you are going to target. But I'm also not insane. I know that we have only so much time to hit these companies and their job sites and make sure that we're prioritizing our time. So in order to make sure that we're paying the most attention to the jobs that we really want and not paying too much attention to the jobs that we don't, 
we're going to rank our companies in tiers. So you're going to put any company that you would die to work for in tier one. Tier one is like, I would love to work there. I would lose my shit if I worked there. I would have it made if I was working there. And then you're going to have companies that fall into tier two. And it's like, okay, like it's not exactly what I wanted. It's like a second string pick, you know, but here's a little fun fact. Even Tom Brady was a second string quarterback at one point in his career. So let's not write off those companies totally. And then finally, you have your tier three companies, the companies that maybe you're not too excited about, the companies that you're not going to give as much time to. But let's remember that even NBA practice squad players make around $150,000 a year, guys. So we need tier three. We should pay attention to tier three, but we're not going to give it as much energy as we would tier two or tier one. So let's talk about our energy and the time that we devote to each of these tiers. First, you have your blanketed effort that every company on your list gets. And then you have your divided effort that we've broken out into tier one, tier two, and tier three. So for every company on your list, I mentioned this trick a few episodes ago, but you're going to run down your company list And on LinkedIn, you're going to type in the company name plus human resources, the company name plus talent acquisition, the company name plus recruiter. And you are going to try to connect with as many people as possible who work for the company that you want to work for, whose job is to bring in people to work for that company. So if I want to work for Tesla, which was the example I used last time, I'm going to type in Tesla HR, Tesla Talent Acquisition, Tesla Recruiter, and I'm going to connect or at least try to connect with as many people who have those type of titles. And we're doing this for a couple of reasons, mainly because once a person is your connection on LinkedIn, you can send them messages directly on LinkedIn without any prerequisite or paying for anything. Then also when talent acquisition people typically start their search to fill a job, they search their own networks first. So it behooves you to be a contact of that talent acquisition person for life, not just for the job that you're looking for in the moment. So now we're going to talk about how you break up your time between looking for jobs among your tier one, two, and three companies. I always advise that you go directly to the company job board to evaluate any open positions. And the reason that I say that is because while job sites like Indeed or even on LinkedIn are all well and good, if you do general searches for marketing on those sites, you're not going to get as finite of a result as you want. Like I remember looking on Indeed when I was thinking about like moving around the country maybe and I was getting like doctor's offices that was paying $20,000 a year. So you have to remember that a lot of people are hiring, but you are trying to target companies to generate a career for yourself and so you should just go right to the source. 
The only caveat to this is if you're maybe perusing LinkedIn and you come across a company that you hadn't considered to put on your list or a company that you didn't even know about previously. However, job sites like Indeed and LinkedIn, those are secondary means of looking for a job. We have a plan, we have a target list to consider, and we're going to go directly to the source. So when we look at our tier one companies, we are going to be checking those postings on their job site daily. I know this sounds like a lot of work, but honestly, it's going to become like second nature if you just bookmark their tab and check it every morning. Companies, in my experience, only really post as much as 10 jobs in a day totally depends on the size of the company, but filtering a company's job page by the most recent post is going to allow for you to just very quickly look at what was posted yesterday as opposed to when you checked today. Typically, when I see a position at a company that I want to apply for, I apply right away. Now, I know that there is some difference of opinion about this. Depending on the industry that you are in, you might need to flag that job post to a contact or a person in your network that works at the company and get an internal referral. But I have found that in media and entertainment, even if I do submit an application, that internal referral, if it comes after the application, will still get me in front of HR. Once you do apply to a position at a tier one company, your next step is to go to LinkedIn and to see who you know that works there. And you are going to send them a message or an email, however you know them, the best means of communication, and you're going to write to them, hey, I just applied to this. Do you know the hiring manager or is there an opportunity for an internal referral? You are going to also provide the link to the job post and you are going to include your resume in that correspondence. What this does is it generates an email that is professionally written, that clearly states your objective, that your internal referral can either send right off to HR, or you've provided enough information for them to go into their internal referral system and very easily add your name. On the other hand, we should utilize our LinkedIn connections of those recruiters and those HR and talent acquisition people. So typically when I apply to a job and I maybe casually am connected to a talent acquisition person at the company, I also send them a message and I say, hey, Bob, I just wanted to let you know that I recently applied to this role. My resume is attached and I hope that you can pass me along to your counterpart who is hiring for this position so I can be further considered. So with this note, we are taking a different direction. We are going right to the HR person who might be scouting for this role, and we are acknowledging that if they are not that person, can you please send it along to the person within their department who is. This person can either forward that email or not. It is a very, very low risk email to send because the worst that happens is they just don't forward it and consider it an FYI. The best that happens is that they do pass it along. 
And if you're worried about sending a message like this, you're thinking, who the hell am I to email someone that I don't know or LinkedIn message someone that I don't know and tell them that I applied for the job? Remember, these people, their main job is to bring talent into a company. So if you write to them and you say, hey, I am the talent and I just applied, you're going to make their job easier in the long run. And the worst that happens is they look at that LinkedIn message, they click on your profile and they say, oh, oh, they don't have enough experience and they don't answer you. No harm, no foul. It's going to be fine. Trust me. So now as we move down our company list and consider our tier two companies and our tier three companies, I want you guys to know that yes, everything I just listed for tier one can be applied to tier two and tier three, but it kind of just depends on how much effort you want to exert for companies that are lower on your priority list. Typically tier two let's check that job board weekly. And tier three, let's check that job board two times per month. You should be applying to literally everything. That is the rule of thumb here. But I would also say that by the time you get down to your tier three level of recruitment, it's fine to just throw yourself into the masses of the application pool. I am a testament of someone who was picked from the application pool having no contacts at CBS Interactive and was interviewed and hired just from a blind online application. It is possible. But for those tier one jobs, that's where we need to pull out the stops and really work our ass off to get those positions. One strategy I also want to propose for when you really, really want to work at a company, but just nothing is open or available, is that you can utilize those LinkedIn connections of talent acquisition and HR people to reach out to tell them that you want to work for them. So I would say about two and a half months to six weeks before you graduate, you would write to that HR person on LinkedIn and you would say, hi, Sarah. I really want to work for Disney. I'm about to graduate NYU, but I don't see any entry-level positions available. I'm sending you my resume so that you can consider me an exploratory candidate. And while I am continuing to check the job boards myself, please know that if anything comes up, I'd like to be considered. My main areas of focus are marketing, strategy, and digital, whatever. But this is also something that you can do because, guys, I've seen it and I've lived it. Getting a job out of college or getting your second job is just so difficult that the only way that you're going to feel better is if you put a plan into action. Even though everything in life is a crapshoot, and as my dad always says, there's a lot of luck involved in living, you at least are taking steps here to actually get what you want and working towards something so that you feel better about what you've accomplished during the day. Sure, there's no guarantee that anything I said is going to actually get you a job, but I do think that this plan is... Sounds pretty good, especially if you don't know where else to start. 
So now we're going to talk about when you should start applying for jobs and the timeline in which you should do so. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you've learned anything on this podcast, it's that I'm going to fucking tell you guys straight. So getting a job quote unquote lined up before you graduate is unheard of in the entertainment and media industry. So I know that all of your finance friends have had shit lined up for the last eight months, and I'm really happy for Brad and Chad about that. I'm being a dick. I am really happy for them about that. It's great that finance is an industry where you can line up a job six months out before you graduate, but that's just not the case here. If you go to your career office and you have a conversation with them about when you should start applying, nine times out of 10, they're wrong. So let's break down your timeline right now and we're going to do so as if you are graduating in May. If you are going for your second job, timeline don't matter because remember, you already have a job, hopefully. So it's really hard to be applying for jobs while you have a job, but it's not like you need one. So this part of the episode is going to be particularly for those of you graduating. So let's do this timeline chronologically. Again, we said you're graduating in May. So let's go to the start of your second semester senior year. You're almost done, baby. You can taste it. But that doesn't mean that the work stops. Actually, you should be working harder to get a job during this semester than any other semester before because obviously you are graduating. During January and February, you're going to start working on all of your documents. This means your resume, your cover letter, which will be the next episode of this podcast, any supplemental resumes that you want to leave behind when and if you get a job interview. And this is also the time period where you're going to want to make your company list and do your research. And then from that company list, you're going to be setting up networking meetings after New Year's because no one's in the office until the next business day after New Year's Day, by the way. And you're going to also be trying to request all of those LinkedIn recruiters, HR people, and talent acquisition people that I've mentioned. So that's January and February. That's two months of a lot of work that you can be doing. I'm also going to go ahead and encourage you guys to track these efforts, a Google sheet, a journal, whatever, but you are looking at a very large task that you need to take initiative of yourself. And if you're not writing down exactly what you're doing, I got to be honest, you're going to think that you're doing more than you actually are. So make sure that you track exactly what you're doing, whether it's working on the resume, working on the cover letter, or even how many connections you requested in one day on LinkedIn. It's going to help you. So another thing you can do in early or mid-March is you can start reaching out to those LinkedIn connections of talent acquisitions and give them an FYI message. Remember, on LinkedIn, you can only message people that you are actually connected with. So that's why we hit them up in January and February so that by the time we want to reach out to them in March, we're already connected. And what these emails will include, or messages rather, is that you're interested in working at this company. So let's say it's Disney again. Hey, Jill, thanks so much for connecting with me. I am about to graduate NYU in May, and I wanted to reach out because I'm very excited about the idea of maybe working for Disney in my future. 
Then you're going to include when you can start because technically with a lot of some uh, with a lot of these companies you do need to have had graduated. Sometimes I've seen it where they'll make an exception if like it's a week out or all your finals are done, but typically the day that you can start is the next business day after your graduation ceremony. You're also going to say what departments you want to work in what departments you're interested in. This is when you might ask them for an informational interview about the company, but I wouldn't get your hopes up about it. You would want to also just say, can you keep me in mind for any upcoming entry-level positions? You can also send these same type of emails to people who work in the departments of the companies that you are targeting. So like, for instance, a lot of the time, People see that I work in marketing at Discovery and they'll email me on LinkedIn about getting into Discovery. Now, that's all well and good. I'm always, like I said, I'm always happy to take an informational interview. But when you connect with people within those departments, they really can't do anything for you unless there is an opening in their department. So that's why we want to go to the source of the people who are actually managing and organizing any job that is open. And remember, with our timeline, this is happening in early or mid-March. I've seen a lot of students, for whatever reason, between the career office or their preconceived notion about how the job market will work for them because of their finance friends, I've seen a lot of them apply to jobs six months before they graduate. No, no. Let me tell you, the hiring process on the other side of it is so hard for us managers that literally by the time we we have the authority to post the job, we needed someone in that seat a month ago. So if we do post a job for our department, we're going to want to fill it as quickly as possible. We are not holding positions open for you because what that means is that our team is going to have to do extra work that doesn't fall under their responsibilities to make up for the you know lack of help. So remember, mid-March, we are just saying, hey, I'm graduating soon. We're not even applying yet, guys. April 1st. That is when you are allowed to start applying for jobs. Typically, college graduations are in the middle of May, which means that April 1st is just about six weeks in advance to when you can actually begin. So as you go through all of your job applications, let's talk about tracking your progress before we talk about what we're going to be looking for in those job descriptions. I need you guys to make a fucking list of every job that you apply to, so help me God. Because what happens is that not only will you lose track, but if someone calls you and you don't have all of the information, you might never get it again. So we're going to do this maybe in a Google Doc, maybe in a Word Doc, and we're going to copy and paste the full job description of the job that we apply to and we're going to throw it in our tracker. Let me tell you, once that job posting has been up long enough or it's been filled 
or HR feels that they have enough potential candidates, they can take it down and you will never fucking see that post again. So that's why we copy and paste it. And we keep this running list. I, for instance, still have my running list and it's almost like 200 pages long. I keep every description of every job that I have applied to, even though some of them are coordinator positions and I am now at a managerial level. And I do this because it's going to be helpful once I am a fucking boss and I have to write my own job description because let me tell you, writing those job descriptions suck. They're really hard to do. So at least now you have this document of reference that you can follow along with. This type of list is also going to help as you continue to work on your resume. It's going to broaden your overall industry knowledge of how jobs are being positioned by competitive companies. It's also going to help your LinkedIn writing and your resume descriptions because you're reading the posts for the jobs that are trying to get filled and that language is something that we're forever working on. And it's also going to help you when you don't get the job that you applied to and you're applying to the next one. So this list is going to include the company name, the job title, the job ID number, the full description, which that's what takes up the most room, and then if you're given one, your application ID number so that you can ensure that you actually got that application into the company that you're targeting. Also in this document, I recommend that you include your passwords for each job board of the companies that you're trying to apply to. Because let me tell you, once you make an account with those job boards, they are forever. So when I was 21 years old trying to get a job, I made an account with Disney that Then when I was 25, couldn't remember the password to because I had generated it four years ago. So you want to log all of this information and you want to make sure that you have it handy and accessible. Now let's talk about the job descriptions that you should be targeting and keeping an eye out for on your search. In my experience, right out of college, you're going to want a junior coordinator or coordinator level position. That is true entry level. Of course, also some of the problems with this industry is that the job description will say that you need two years experience, three years, five years, whatever. Please don't get discouraged about that. Any job that says between two and five or under five, just apply to it anyway. Like, who cares? If you can do the job, you can do the job. It's not going to matter that you're starting out or not. And remember, we're also casting that wide net. The only time that it's ever okay for the position title to be a little bit different is if the job is filtered as entry level, meaning that when you went to the job board, you filtered your job search of that company by selecting entry level in your search. Or if it says assistant, careful with this. The only assistant position that I want you guys looking for is within sales departments because those are actually part of a data entry structure that have significant job responsibilities within the department. 
The one thing I would not want you guys to apply to is an executive assistant position because remember, that's where I started and I found it very thankless. I also found it a position that you could very much stay in for too long if you're not careful. I have the most respect for anyone who is an executive assistant, but remember, your primary job as an executive assistant is to make that executive's life better. So if in a year, a year and a half, you want to look for another job, that means that they need to look for someone else to continue to make their lives easier. It's just You might get a good boss, but it's just one of those roles where the longer you stay, the better it is on everyone involved. And while, sure, that's a great job and you might want to do it, if you're looking to have a career, a lengthy, long, elaborate career where you grow and grow and grow, I'm not sure that this is where you want to begin. So then you're going to move on to the description, responsibilities, and requirements post the job title and I want you to consider that the first bullet in that responsibility section is the most important job responsibility that you'll need to conduct once you get the role. So if that top bullet says that you're managing someone's calendar, like you're managing a senior executive's calendar, that is just an executive assistant title with lipstick on it. Like they're trying to get a better application pool by naming it a coordinator title without maybe giving you the work. So sure, the bullets can include calendar management, I would be cautious if it was the first one, and I would also make sure that the rest of the bullets have substantial work involved. I also want to caution, I mentioned this just a moment ago, that we shouldn't get scared from the requirements, especially if you are filtering these jobs as entry level, you're totally within the right to apply to them. I do not give a fuck that it says five years experience. Just hit send on the application. In a moment, we're going to look at a current job listing for an entry-level position, but before I get into that, I just want to make you all aware of a trend within our industry that I personally don't love, and that is freelance, temp, and permalance positions. So typically within the entertainment industry, we have a lot of different facets of the business and there are projects sometimes that do not need a full-time employee. And guys, when I say full-time employee, I mean someone who is onboarded to the point where the company is paying for their health insurance and benefits and they're eligible for a 401k if that company offers one or matches one. So... The problem with these freelance positions is that typically you're not a full-time employee. So not only are you not getting your health insurance, your benefits, or a 401k, but when there are company events like a Christmas party, for instance, you're not invited because you're freelance. So I don't love these jobs. I also think that they are very expendable I would much rather see you guys get a job that you can have for a year and a half, even if it sucks, rather than a job that you're only going to have for six months because they're going to fire you at the end of the project or whatever you're working on. 
And I hear you guys, maybe you want that freelance position because it's a more creative role or the work sounds more appealing to you. But just to be devil's advocate and to give you guys a moment of tough love, you're fucking adults now. So why would you take a job that you know is going to end at some point? Because also remember, like, I know that you guys are all like, totally gangbusters over the fact that you can stay on your parents' health insurance until you're 26 years old. But it does help out everybody if you can cover your own ass. You're also talking to somebody who, when she first started working, elected to go onto her own health insurance because it would save her parents money. And then six months into my first job, my mom got canned and I had to watch my dad, her, and my two younger brothers go on Obamacare. Had I not enrolled in health insurance at my company at the start of my employment, I would have gone uninsured until enrollment period would begin in November. And we'll get into that more in depth at a later episode. But remember, like if you're freelance, you might get a larger salary from the company, but that's because they're not paying your health insurance. So there's just all this shit that goes into it. And sometimes it is in the title of the job and sometimes it's in the body of the job. So I want to really caution you guys to read these things very carefully. And I don't want anyone to come for me. Like a freelance position is a great starting point for a lot of people. I have a lot of colleagues who started freelance but one of the girls who I work with currently she started freelance and our whole goal was how do you get to full-time so when that's the goal why not just try to skip the step I'm just here to help you guys I think every opportunity is valid and that's just my two cents on freelance opportunities So now we're going to float over to NBC Universal, which is one of my favorite companies to be searching for jobs in because they do have that filter of where are you in your career? Are you entry level? Are you management? Are you experienced? A lot of companies don't have the entry level filter, which I just think is stupid, but regardless. So we found this... um, post that is for an email marketing coordinator for NBC Sports. So that's exactly the type of job title that we're looking for. Now, the first note in this job posting is that you should note, all caps, this is a project limited term position with an estimated duration of 12 months unless otherwise amended or terminated as deliverables within the project are completed. So this is exactly what we are on the lookout for. This is this is a risk, okay? Maybe you want to keep going for this job. Maybe you don't. That's a personal, totally personal opinion. I found at the start of my job search, I was really, really amped about full-time positions. But I've also talked to students who are six months into unemployment post-grad and they still don't have anything and they would literally take any job that they could get. So maybe you're at that point. I can't make that call for you. It's personal. 
So now we go into the overview of the job, and it basically says that this coordinator will assist in the development and execution of all email marketing campaigns for NBC Sports and their partners. It also lists out that this will include skills in HTML and CSS, so you do need to know some coding for this. You should be able to you know, understand that. And then of course you get the bullshit. You get this person should be creative, self-motivated and able to work both immediately and collaboratively in a fast paced environment. Like, yeah, we want a team player. Everybody wants that. It's a given. So as we go down this job description, we get into the bullets, which is the core day-to-day responsibilities that this hiring manager feels that you'll have as their coordinator. The first one says, Build email campaigns, database entry, HTML presentation, and quality assurance of all outbound campaigns. So yeah, okay, if you don't know how to HTML, do not apply for this job. That is one of those qualifications that you cannot fake. And since HTML is so predominantly listed in this job description, we need it to be front and center on our resumes. So not only should HTML coding be probably listed in your skills section, but you should have an experience that already mentions HTML. So this is one of those situations where if you really want this job and you can code, you need to go in and make sure that your resume is reflective of that. If it isn't, that is a quick fix on the resume and then you're ready to hit send on this job application. And then we go down the list and we take a look at everything else that you're expected to do, which is to manage customer data. That's a pretty big deal. Um, You're also going to need to know how to report on metrics. So that includes delivery, open rates, click rates, conversion, opt out, and segmentation analysis. So this is one of those examples of what do you know versus what you don't know. I know a lot of you graduating might know HTML. You might not know what these metrics are. You all have Google. You can Google these metrics. So that is where we make the distinguish of what can I fake versus what can I learn versus what do I already know. We established that if you do not know HTML, you are not applying for this job. However, if you do not know what a opt-out rate is, that should not deter you from applying to this job. That is something that you can very easily look up or even learn once you're there if you make a good enough first impression on your hiring manager to then hire you. I also see in here that you need Adobe Photoshop. They don't say to what level. So that's another thing with some of these programs is like, I know Adobe Analytics because like my analytics team tells me how to pull stuff in Adobe Analytics and then that's the one thing I need to pull for months and months and months of a campaign. But if you want me to set up my own dashboard in Adobe Analytics, that's going to be a hurdle for me. So I love it when they say that you need to create graphics in Photoshop. Like to what level. So again, I don't want that to deter you either. And then the final bullet here is support the senior director of consumer engagement with all projects related to this position. So that's a much better bullet than managing the senior director's calendar. I want you guys to really see the difference in all of that. 
So then we get to the qualifications and requirements, which for whatever reason is where everyone really gets very nervous about the job. So the first thing listed is a bachelor's degree in a related field. You're probably not going to get hired unless you have a bachelor's degree or enough years of relevant work experience for a job of this level. You also need familiarity with email marketing platforms such as Salesforce and MailChimp. Okay, if you're coming out of college, you've probably not had to do campaigns in MailChimp. So you just go to MailChimp and you watch some how-to videos on YouTube and you call that qualification done. Then basic HTML, CSS, and graphic design skills. That you can't learn overnight. So... So far, we have three qualifications where two are givens and one's a nice to have. And that's where you really want to start distinguishing as you read these job descriptions. Then one of these qualifications is basic computer knowledge of all Microsoft Office applications. Okay, like, I'm sorry, if you're graduating a four-year university, a two-year university, or even the second grade, and you don't have Microsoft Office Office experience, <laughs> like, some of these are just ridiculous, but they have to say it because there's so many people applying, you know, and then the final is strong written and verbal communication skills are mandatory, Are they? Because part of this podcast is teaching you guys those skills because I know that they're not focused on in college and that's why I elected to spend my Saturday night recording in my apartment instead of doing literally nothing else because we're in the middle of COVID. Anyway, then we get to eligibility requirements. So this is like the mandatory shit, guys, because the first thing that it says is that you need to be able to submit a resume through the NBC Careers website. That is a legal thing. You're never going to get a job at any company unless you apply through their site. So let's keep that in mind. Then there's a willingness to work weekends, and probably based off of this job description, that means that you have Saturday and Sunday email deployments, and if something fucks up, you need to fix it. You must be 18 years or older. Solid. That would be helpful. You must be able to work within the United States. I am not going to even touch with a 10-foot pole anyone who is here on a student visa. I... I don't know anything about that, and I apologize, and I know it's very stressful for you guys. And then it also says that NBC Universal is a equal opportunity employer, basically. I'm summarizing this last line. And then the last thing listed here is desired characteristic, like excellent time management skills, ability to work well with other department members, strong attention to detail and proofreading skills, works well in a fast-paced team environment, media and sports knowledge is a plus. So let's really unpack this, guys. This is a sports media company and a sports media job, and they need you to send emails. And the last thing listed in this job description is that media and sports knowledge is a plus. Like, just apply. Like, we're going to be fine. Like, I just feel that sometimes you guys get really, really 
like just enthralled with some of these qualifications. This doesn't even say that you need a minimum amount of years of experience in this job posting, which is awesome. So, I mean, it's a real true entry level, although also let's remember that this particular position is only 12 months long. So for those of you keeping track of our timeline, all of these efforts are now going to bring us to a mid-May graduation date. I know that you all have done so much work leading up to this, and just because you've done the work, it might not mean that you have a job. But I promise you that if you keep your nose to the grindstone, if you keep networking, if you keep reaching out, people will help you because... God, they'll feel for you. They will. I know a lot of people that in this pandemic had months of unemployment and then finally have someone take a chance on them. And remember, also in those months, you're doing your company research, you're learning more and more, and you're becoming more well-spoken about the industry, which means that you are interviewing better. My final note just before we close out this episode is a suggestion on what you might be doing if your job search ends up taking longer than expected. So just like the job description that we read today, Photoshop and HTML were two examples of programs that this potential employee needed to have. While I would discourage you from trying to learn these skills while still taking on a course load, I think that once you graduate, learning a skill like HTML, like Photoshop, and especially the ones that you're seeing over and over again repeating in the job descriptions that you want is a very good productive way of using your time to break up your job search post-graduation. So I'm talking like you've been out of school for three weeks, you took a breather, maybe in between applications you are taking a LinkedIn learning class, you are doing an online course to learn these tangible skills and these programs, or I also recommend utilizing Grow with Google. These are all things that you can be doing to help yourself, but also break up the stress of all of these applications. So I hope you guys hit me up with your questions about finding a job. I am happy to look at any job descriptions. I know that we could only get to one during this episode, but maybe at a future date we could do more. I really want you guys to just say fuck it. That's my best advice fuck it and apply. Go get your jobs. Go get everything done. Hit me up on my website, maryellenpesanello.com or email me at mary.ellen.pesanello at gmail.com. DM me, whatever. I'm here for you guys. This process sucks. So that's it for episode six of Switching Majors. I'm your host, Mary Ellen Pesanello, and I'll catch you guys next time. 